Luxembourg this week is set to celebrate the 38th annual Festival d'Immigration. With over 50% of Luxembourg's residents not born here, we thought it would be interesting to meet some of the people who have made a very conscious decision to choose Luxembourg as their home. I'm joined by Patricia Abdelnour, a Venezuelan citizen, and we are going to talk about her journey and how she came to Luxembourg. Venezuela has been undergoing an acute crisis for a number of years caused by ongoing power struggles, economic mismanagement and corruption. The conflict between the government and the opposition has aggravated the situation. The consequences are more than dramatic for the population, which lacks everything, food, medicine, petrol, drinking water, electricity, medical care. Unemployment has reached record levels and violence is omnipresent. As a result, some 4 million Venezuelans have fled their country in recent years and taken refuge in neighbouring countries. Some have ended up further afield. Venezuelans were in fact the second largest group of refugees in Luxembourg in 2020. Patricia, you've got a different story and we are here to hear that. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Lisa. It's lovely to have you with me in the studio. Thank you. How long have you been in Luxembourg? Two years. Your story is a little bit different from many of the Venezuelans that have arrived in Luxembourg in the last few years. Um, you grew up between Venezuela and the States. I grew up between Venezuela and the States. I did some of the preschool years in the United States and then we went back to Venezuela and uh, I did high school also. But I went to lots of summer camps uh, when I was growing up. My parents really didn't want me to forget my English. Then I became a musician and I started going to summer music schools. So you studied music in New York or in no. Boston and then went back? No, then I stayed because I went to school and I studied uh, music, music, but I majored in sound engineering. And, you know, being a woman sound engineer, I, I, you have to think of the places where music recording takes place. Mm-hmm. And so the options were Miami or Los Angeles, New York or London. These mm-hmm. are like the big places. And most of my friends were moving to L.A., so I moved to L.A. and lived there for a few years. Then um, I moved to New York and then ended up uh, moving to Washington and lived there for seven years. So in total, I stayed in the States for like 15 years after after, after college. Graduating. And what took you back to Venezuela? Mm. I left Venezuela for college when I was 17. And during all the time that I had been in the States pursuing a music career or a career in music, I got closer to Venezuelan culture and especially Venezuelan music. I fell in love with it, but I also started working more with it. And the kind of music that I like to work with is not pop or rock music, but more traditional music, acoustic music. I play the viola, so I come from from classical music. And so I'm I'm in love with world music. And of course, that includes the music of Venezuela. And so I started working very closely with Venezuelan music and culture and promoting it in the States. So I, with some friends, we created a nonprofit organization to promote Venezuelan culture and such. And so I, I have this curiosity and this, this urge to live in Venezuela because I had not lived in Venezuela as an adult. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I met my husband, who was also a a strange Venezuelan. He's a Venezuelan who grew up in Vienna and he went to the French school. So it really took me years to figure out, you know, what he was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If he was Venezuelan or or Austrian or French. 
But he also wanted to live in Venezuela because he had not lived as an adult in Venezuela. So we met and we had that that thing in common and we moved back and we moved back and, and, and found great jobs. And what year would that have been? That was around, I don't know, 2000, maybe 12, mm -hmm. 2013, I don't know. I mean, things things were already rocky, mm -hmm. uh, but but the economy was not bad. And yeah, we have we have ups and downs in Europe. Yeah. We have ups and downs in economies. That kind of thing happens, yeah. but it's usually a dip. Yeah. So so things weren't you know were were turmoily but not not bad and I I had a great job I found a great job and my dream job I was working directly with Maestro Abreu at El Sistema El Sistema is this wonderful music program that is now all over the planet yeah. um, that creates orchestras and choirs in in tough neighborhoods and areas as a program of social inclusion and fighting poverty. The particularity with the Venezuelan program, which was the original program, is that it started 40 years ago in an oil-rich country, uh, so it grew immensely, and uh, now there are musicians, kids who have come from this project from very low-income backgrounds that are stars in the classical music world. Mm -hmm. There's Gustavo Dudamel at the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic. There's Edikson Ruiz, the youngest member ever to, to be part of the Berlin Philharmonic, and etc. Et so I was working with that project, and that project is so inspiring and mm -hmm. so fantastic. So I had a great job, and I was, you know, the salary was good, and I was close to my family, and You know, I, I remember walking in the streets in this tropical weather because the one thing that is unchangeably fabulous in Venezuela is the weather. It's summer all year. And, you know, drinking mango and coconut juice uh, every day across the street from my house. Like, I, I was loving it. So so it was great to, to be home. But then, you know, things started falling apart. And when you say things started falling apart, what do you what do you mean by that? Economically? Yes, especially economically. Our life was normal. And then one day there started being serious food shortages. And Venezuela has had this before because Venezuela is an oil producing country that we produced other things, but not enough to supply the population. So we've always imported food and mm -hmm. medicine. Mm -hmm. Now we, we have to import 100% everything. But... Back then, I mean, historically, we've always had to depend on imports. And slowly, things were beginning to disappear. And when, you know, when, it's, when it starts, it's, it's just coffee sometimes mm -hmm. or toilet paper mm -hmm. sometimes. But then this, this gets worse gradually. And I, my husband and I always wonder if we were, you know, the frogs in the pot of wo boiling water, mm -hmm. that the water gets warmer and warmer mm -hmm. and warmer. And the, the, because it's gradual, the frogs don't feel it until they die. Yeah. And so it got worse and worse. And it, we got to the point where, you know, we, we were, how old were we? We were in our late 30s still. Uh, so we didn't have a big savings account. But then we started dipping into that little save, small savings account to go grocery shopping in the black market. Right. And then we had kids and then we needed diapers. And so it, it's not long. It's it's no longer about coffee, which, mm -hmm. you know, okay, so you don't have coffee, you drink tea. Yeah. There's no rice. Okay, you eat plantains. Mm -hmm. But eh, diapers, 
basic medication for the babies. Then, mm -hmm. then it really starts being a nuisance. So we, we were, again, we had the privilege that we had some foreign currency and we could have access to mm -hmm. these goods in the black market, these basic goods. Um, and so we started spending our money there. We had our second son and our second son was born and then had to be taken to the ICU for 10 days because he had an infection. Mm -hmm. And we don't know where the infection came from, but we do know that even in the fanciest, pri most private hospitals, the products to clean the rooms and the operating rooms, you know, are very hard to find. Right. So they're not, it's not the same standard as it used to be or as it should be. So I don't know where it came from, but he caught an infection right at the hospital and he had to be put uh, into intensive care. And that lasted for 10 days. And those were the most excruciating 10 days of our lives. We, because not only our baby was this beautiful newborn inside a, an incubator, but during the time that we were not next to him, we had to go running around the whole city, pharmacy to pharmacy, looking for basic medication. And this is Caracas, right? It's this not, is you're Caracas. Not, yeah. Because outside Caracas is worse. Mm -hmm. Like people from outside Caracas tra travel to Caracas to go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. And this is when this was like that when we left a few years ago. Now there's no there's trouble with petrol with gasoline mm -hmm. so people can't really travel that mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. so it really started getting worse 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 and then when we had this experience of having our baby in ICU and you know we didn't know if he was going to make it or not and the first treatments that had to be tried to get take the infection out were basic treatments they weren't anything sophisticated or rare they were basic antibiotics and we couldn't find them so that for you was the catalyst in terms of thinking we need to leave. Now, as I said, I said in, in, in our intro, uh, Venezuelans the second largest group of refugees um, in Luxembourg in the last year. You're not a refugee by the luck of the draw, as it were. Absolutely. There's no other way to describe it. You, you had the Spanish passport or your husband had a Spanish? My husband. Right. He had still had a Spanish pa passport from his family. Yes. And you were able to travel as a family on that passport. Yes. How hard was the decision to leave? Was it just that that moment with your, your baby where you realized it was about a life rather than a lifestyle? Yes, the moment we really didn't want to leave. We thought it would pass. We thought it was going to get better. We thought we could weather it. Mm -hmm. But then it wasn't about us anymore. Mm -hmm. And and it was scary. Also, you know, the, the other big thing about Venezuela that is very tragic is crime. And again, this is not new. I, you know, when, when I was little... Things weren't perfect. There was crime. But right now, it's just, it's really gotten worse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and I now work for an organization here that works with refugees. And I I was expecting when I started working with this organization to be in contact with, with people who are coming from war-torn countries. And to my, you know, heartbreaking surprise was to find Venezuelans. Mm -hmm. And, of course, a lot of Venezuelans are here because of economic uh, reasons. I mean, and when I say economic, it is not I can't find a job. Is I am starving. I mm -hmm. mean, people are starving because they don't have money, or if they have money, there's no food to be bought. And so, but I've met Venezuelans here who were fleeing, having survived a crime, 
yeah, problem. I, I, yeah. They got robbed, they got kidnapped, they got this, but mm. then they escaped and survived and they can't go back because they're mm. going to go after them. So the situation with, with crime is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And so it's not only the feeling, the insecure, insecurity feeling of not being safe because of pet, you know common crime, but not being safe because you don't know if you're going to eat, you don't know if you're going to have access to aspirin or to like to basic medications you came here with your husband obviously um and you very quickly found a place now you mentioned your work with a uh, uh, sistema um which many people if you don't know the organization please take a minute and go look them up they do some amazing work and i discovered el sistema because they did amazing work in some of the housing estates round about glasgow um, but you found your feet here in Luxembourg through another organisation, which is Uns Hemisht. Yeah. As you said, you, you work for this this group and you're in touch with refugees. Um, has that made it easier for you to settle here? Well, you know, my, my first... I, I'm very lucky uh, and, and I am very grateful also and very aware of the great privilege that it is to have a European passport that allowed us to come. I also feel that I'm very privileged to have been brought up and grown up in music. And it's it's a cliche, but music is the international language. And I was here the first year, and I, I tell you, I was very depressed the first year I was here. We didn't have a car, I didn't speak any of the languages, I didn't know a lot of people, so it, it, I was very lost. My, my small youngest uh, son was at home with me, which was great. Um, but it's then, lonely. Yeah, yeah. It, lonely and, and gray and, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, it, it looks gray when you're not feeling. Yeah. Now that I'm okay yeah. and that I go out, I, I have a reason, you know, beyond my family to, to do things every day, mm. then I don't feel the gray that much anymore. Right. And then I also remember I lived in Boston mm. for four years and I never complained about the weather. Right. So, so you knew something else. Yeah. So... So I'm very grateful also to be a musician. The first year here for me was hard. And my mother uh, talked to me one day and she said, well, you know, you have to go back to your roots. Find an orchestra, mm. find a place to play. And mm. that will, you know, that will connect you to who you are and where you yeah, really yeah. come from. A month later, I went to the Ministry of Health that you have to take your kid to the pediatrician yeah. for a bi-yearly checkup. Mm -hmm. So I went there. And the social worker that uh, welcomed us, she's going through our paperwork and she's a super Luxembourgish lady, super nice. She goes, oh, you're a musician. And I'm, I said, yes. What do you play? And I said, I play the viola. Oh, but do you play play? And I said, well, I kind of play play. I mean, but professionally? And I said, well, not not professionally. I mean, I don't know. What do you mean professionally? I have a degree, but I haven't really played because I'm more into, you know, a different thing in music. But Long story short, she invited me to play in the orchestra where she plays. She's a violinist. And now I play for a really nice project in Dudelange, uh -huh. in the municipal school of Dudelange. So they have this orchestra where it's adults 
and they incorporate the best kids, the more advanced kids of the music school. They incorporate it to this adult orchestra. So it's a feedback of like higher level adults playing with kids that are learning and that are starting Bringing to them have up. A, So it's this side by side that's very interesting. So it's a lovely project because it's a very, you know, it's an amateur orchestra. People do it because they want to. Mm-hmm. And so I've met a lot of people there. I met a lot of Luxembourgers and music has helped me, you know, kind of integrate in a integrate sense. Integrate yeah. and, and feel and start start meeting people and start feeling a little bit home. And then I started volunteering again. You know, El Sistema in Venezuela is an it's not a music project, it's not a, uh, a cultural project, it's a social project. Mm-hmm. So I really after the Venezuelan experience I have become an advocate for social inclusion through music and mm-hmm. the arts in general. And um, so it was lovely to me to find, to discover that in Luxembourg there was this organization that has been founded by a Luxembourger musician, Serge Tonard. Um, they started in 2015 with the first wave mm-hmm. of refugees. I think, you know, people in, in, in all the country really were doing their best. So Serge organized his friends and started going to the Croix Rouge and mm. Caritas and offering their help. And I, from what I hear in the beginning, it was just moving furniture around. Mm-hmm. But then they started seeing that refugees is, you know, they, they had all their basic needs covered. They have housing, they have food, they mm-hmm. have clothing, they have, but, but that's it. Mm-hmm. it. It was very, it is very hard for a refugee to experience life in Luxembourg, outside of that bubble mm-hmm. of, of the foyer, of the language course. Yep. And, you know, it's hard for... for All of, any of us come it, in yeah, you know, to break into the society that's here. And so for a refugee, imagine. And so they started organizing concerts and cultural activities to foster intercultural dialogue between Luxembourgers and the refugees. And, well, fast forward to today, that's the organization I, I started as a volunteer mm-hmm. with. I started... Um, going to their events and helping out here and there. And then I was lucky that they had a position open. And I think with my background in social inclusion through music mm-hmm. and having also worked, because in Venezuela, this is a project that comes from uh, public funding. And because it has public funding, like the one in Scotland, it's mm-hmm. the only other one that has public funding. No, I'm lying. Korea, two, three. Mm-hmm. Um, then it is projected in a national level. It's mm-hmm. a bigger scale. And so so the experience of not only the project of social inclusion through the arts, but also massive social inclusion mm-hmm. through the arts was a, a good match for yeah. this Luxembourgish organization. You're going to be a voice on, on ARAF going forward because you're going to pop in and out of the studio to let us know about these events that take place every month, trying to encourage other people to get involved with the different organizations, but specifically Uns Hemisch makes it really, really easy just to dip in and out, to come along to events that are hosted, an art gallery or a concert. But today, thank you so much for sharing your story because it's, um, it's a feature for the Festival of Migration that will be taking place online this year. It's normally a lovely event up at Lux Expo. What we are trying to put across with this story is that 
everybody's journey is a different one. Everybody's story is interlinked in some way. So I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Thank you. And, you know, there's so many stories. To me, it has been fascinating to work with refugees. As I said, the most heartbreaking thing for me has been to encounter Venezuelans. But I've encountered some amazing people. The other day, I, I we went out to a play with a Senegalese mm-hmm. uh, group. And the, uh, some of the men there are working now in construction. But um, a, a Luxemburger, Luxembourgish writer joined us that evening. And it turned out that one of the Senegalese uh, was a lyric writer and a poet in Senegal. So it's yeah. like, you know, you find people of all walks of life and wonderful surprises and unexpected, you know, uh, there's a caterer, there's a graphic designer, there's this, there's that, there's people of every kind. Patricia, thank you for organizing events where people can actually get together and get to know each other. And thank you for being with us today and sharing your story. Thank you, Lisa.